comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Okay, fellas, so tell me the next Marvel movie that will be announced that we don't know about. So Doctor Strange is off uh, limits. We know about that one. Ken, Black go. Widow. I, I, I'm up, yeah, Russ grabbed it, but Black Widow. Russ? Yes. Uh, Black Widow for you? Black Widow. Bradley? Is, is it what we want or what we think? Um, however you want to go with it, man. You know, Moon we're, Moon Knight. We're, we're just happy to have you here. Moon Knight. Moon Knight. I want Moon Knight. Yeah, I've been gone for a while. I've had some crazy junk going on, but Moon Knight. I would love to see a Moon Knight. I'd love for him to show up on the Daredevil uh, Netflix show as a cameo or something. And then I think Moon Knight's cool. I, everybody says he's a Batman poser, but they that means they haven't really read Moon Knight. Probably, probably it's going to be uh, Black Widow. And I like to clarify, you asked if it's what we want or what we think. Honestly, that is both. I definitely want a Black Widow story. I want it to be set in the present, but heavy or have some flashbacks. I want to see Budapest, for example, you can get Hawkeye in there. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's the, I think we're ready for it. I think we've proven a couple ways that not only can we do, can Marvel do a good female action story, but um, Scar, Scar Joe's got cred on her own to be able to carry it. So I think it's a I think it's a no brainer for them to actually put that out there. What about yours, John? I want to say Captain Marvel, but I am going to say Inhumans. Uh, I think I, that's coming. I think that's coming, and I think they've put enough feelers out there to that effect as well. I was just about to say I, I think Inhumans would be a horrible idea, but I was the one that said Galaxy or Guardians of the Galaxy would be a horrible idea, and how, look how wrong I was. So. You're very wrong, sir. Yeah, and I got to tell you, after seeing it a second time, I enjoyed Guardians much more than I did the first time. I haven't had a chance to listen to your episode of Half Hour Wasted, but am I to understand that you did not enjoy it, or at least not as much as others that first time through? I didn't hate it, but I wasn't blown away by it. Right. I had some issues with the casting. Um, I laughed consistently throughout the whole thing, but I was very confused. It was a dense plot. I was always asking myself, What's going on? Who is that? Why are they going there? Are they going to destroy Earth? And Earth didn't have anything to do with it. It was Xandar or whatever it was. So there was a lot going on, and I had a hard time paying attention because I kept having questions that came up that were never answered, so I got distracted. But after talking with Frank and Bill on our show, I got a new perspective about it, and then I ended up taking my 15-year-old daughter to see it. She loved it, and I enjoyed it much more the second time because... I heard a lot. I caught a lot of things the second time that I missed in the first go around. So it it was a great movie. And then I bought a T-shirt that says "I am Groot." So I guess I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it the first time. Enjoyed it the second time with with my son. But what really t- showed me that this that movie was going to have a broader appeal was that I took 
my daughter wanted to see it, but I convinced my wife to go see it as well, who, to say she's not a fan of this movie is, is to put it mildly, and she thoroughly enjoyed it as well. My 70-year-old mother loved it. Yeah, my in-laws were big fans as well. They okay. they really enjoyed it. I mean, granted, it's, it's got great music and heavy and age references, which certainly didn't help, didn't hurt uh, my wife's enjoyment of it, and that's, that's probably where it all came from. But, hey, I'll take it. So, John, in case the folks at home, their iPod screens are broken, what, what are they listening to? It's all connected. Episode something. 29. 29, maybe? 29. The big quotes. It's all connected show. We've teased this as uh, as coming for several months now. Every episode, this was going to be the next episode and end up not being. So this is it. It's here. It's here. And uh, Brad and I are going to get the hell out of the way. <laughs> Pretty much. And... Yeah. Uh, let you super nerds. Uh, no, I, I kid. I kid. Um, so, what's our plan, gentlemen? Walk walk us through it before we get underway. Brad and John, you guys can play Bob Euchre to my and Russ's Tim McCarver. Okay, yes. fair enough. I excel in color commentary. <laughs> I don't understand the reference, but I'll do that. J- John gets it, so that's good enough. <laughs> Uh, no, I think I think what we're going to do, depending on how long this takes, and given that there's four of us, there'll probably be a lot of a discussion and a lot of back and forth. So I think what we're going to do is take the phase, what we consider phase one, and split it in half. And so I think we're going to cover Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk, and Iron Man 2 in the first segment. And then we'll come back probably next week, uh, the week after at, at most, and then we'll cover Thor, Cap, uh, Captain America, the First Avenger, and the Avengers um, next. And so that'll that'll kind of take us to phase through phase one. Um, and if we have time, we'll we'll catch up with phase two up until through uh, I guess at this point Guardians of the Galaxy, which would be fun. Uh, but we'll see how much how much time we have because we're uh, quickly approaching the premiere of season two of Agents of Shield. And we also have uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, coming out on Blu-ray DVD. It's actually available digitally right now. But I think we talk, We want to get uh, get our, our commentary out on that relatively quickly as well. Mainly so we're not sitting on it. Because if we don't get that out before um, Agent of the Shield starts, it'll probably be some time before we can fit it in there. Because we're going to go straight from, it sounds like, Agent of the Shield to Car- Agent Carter to Agent of the Shield to Daredevil. And then who knows what. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so... What the purpose of this show is, is uh, the podcast is called It's All Connected. We've rebranded it to It's All Connected from the Shield Pod, uh, Shield TV podcast. So we thought it would be uh, important for us to actually talk about the connections uh, between these, these movies and just kind of see how the seeds were laid out early. Uh, as I was kind of re-watching them, I thought it would be interesting to kind of talk about uh, some connections not only to maybe the comic books but even connections to previous incarnations um, or other incarnations of Marvel properties and especially with the Hulk I noticed a lot of uh, the references to the prior uh, 70s TV show with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno which I thought were fun um, and of course we've we've talked about that uh, during the commentaries as well so we decided to do this not chronologically from the beginning of time uh, to current, but just kind of go through the first movies 
because uh, I think that's imp- important because you can kind of see how things have changed slightly and just how much of the groundwork they either intentionally laid down or it was unintentionally laid and then they picked that up further along. So I think I th- think it's kind of cool to talk about it um, from chronologically from movie release. So that was just too hard to create that timeline. I'm lazy. So, uh, so we'll start with Iron Man. Um, and just kind of going through a few things here. One of the things I, I noticed, and this isn't really a connection thing necessarily, but uh, I, I thought it was interesting that at the beginning when the when the convoy is attacked, when Stark's convoy is attacked out in Afghanistan and uh, the car, you know, the, the vehicle blows up and Stark gets hit with the shrapnel and he's laying there and then you start to see the blood come through. When he pulls his shirt open... Uh, he has like this. It's almost like a flak jacket, but it almost looks like. It's funny because when I was look when I was watching it, I kind of paused it for a second. It almost looks like remember in Batman Begins that that Kevlar type material or whatever that was that that he used as a vest that he ended up painting over to make the bat suit. It almost looked like that where it was this. Yeah, it's Kev- it was a Kevlar mesh jacket. Yeah, sometime. yeah, 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 and real lightweight, real thin. But it, it was interesting because the way when he pulled his jacket open, it fit him like. Almost like the chest plate to the Iron Man armor fit him, so it was kind of like I I've seen this movie I don't know how many times, and I never really paid att- you know attention to that. But again, you know maybe a little bit of foreshadowing, maybe not. Maybe I'm just you know wanting to see what I want to see. But I thought that was kind of cool that I, I picked that up that time. No, it was very it was very cool. I didn't think of it in that way. I just thought um, of, from a story point of view, it was. Um, it was the the CEO of a major corporation in a war zone um, being appropriately protected. <laughs> yeah. Then when we get all the flashes, when you know, they, obviously we we go backward um, after that that moment, and we kind of tell how Tony kind of got to where he was, um, and we go through all the magazine articles, and and it, it was kind of cool how they took obviously young Robert Downey Jr. and kind of plastered his head on in different situations. But one of the one of the things I noticed right off the bat uh, was that it's not the same guy that played Howard Stark for those early you know snapshots. It wasn't John Slattery as as Howard Stark. Yeah, it kind of uh, makes sense. And you know, not a big not a big deal. But yeah, yeah. But the guy that they had playing Howard Stark very, very, very much looked like Howard Hughes. I mean, they could almost be twins. Oh yeah, that was definitely what they were going for. And even with. Uh Slattery's look and um, in Cap. Oh, uh, Dominic Cooper. Dominic, Dominic. For anyone to say Ian, but yeah, um, his look was very much trying to go for the Howard Howard Hughes right um, image. Uh, the other thing I want to mention during that uh, the Apogee award ceremonies uh, and Apogee was an Easter egg, not to Marvel, I think, to the production or special effects company or something like that, if I remember correctly. The music uh, there that was being played was a riff on a, the theme of one of the Iron Man cartoons of some era. I think the '60s version, maybe. Yeah, the old. Later on, we'll, later, yeah, later on, we'll hear Rhodey's cell phone, which was, I think, the '90s uh, Iron Man theme. Yes, yeah, but the original was back when Marvel did those. They they took the old Kirby drawings yeah. and they basically just kind of yeah. like moved them the around. Motion comic. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and and these are these are true Easter eggs, just there for the the nod. Some of these are are just Easter eggs. Some of these are connections to the bigger MCU. Things like the music are, are simple Easter eggs, but they're still fun to call out. Yeah. Do Has Kevin Feige ever 
stated. I mean, I, I know that there's a there's an end credit scene to Iron Man that would lead you to believe that it was the plan all along. But is there any has there been any mention of like we knew when we started Iron Man that this was the big plan to have all of these connected movies or was it more of like, you know, we really need to see how Iron Man does before we... It, it was both, John. Uh, when when they first did Iron Man, yeah, it was to make a great Iron Man movie. And I think all of the movies, they wanted to make each individual movie be the best it could be. But at Comic-Con, one, maybe two, but probably one year before Iron Man came out, he commented on the movies they were doing. Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, Captain America... And hey, don't they just happen to be the same characters that you put them together, they make the Avengers? Hmm, wouldn't that be cool? So yes, it was in the it was the concept, if not the actual plan. Um, but this was definitely the road they wanted to go down. But 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 their their immediate goal as they're making these movies was make the individual movie the best it could be, and that still is going forward. To, is the case they right? Want- so I, I guess what I'm getting at is is like now that the Marvel Universe is what it is. They, they probably place things very specifically in these movies yeah. to use later. Yeah. Whereas in Iron Man and the Hulk, maybe it was reversed. Like, hey, now that we're doing this, we can look and see if we can pull things out that you know maybe weren't placed that way originally. Yeah, there was a there was a comment that um. Oh, I wish I knew which actor said this. It may have been Robert Downey Jr., but I don't think it was. Talking about um, the Easter eggs and the connections and things like they were talking about. And they said, Kevin Feige doesn't let anything happen by accident. He did that maybe twice early on where something got in and it was out of his control at that moment. That doesn't happen anymore. And um, Brad, I think you had mentioned one offline earlier that falls in that category if you want to bring it up, I don't want to steal your thunder. Yeah, the um, no, the uh, Captain America shield that was on the desk behind Tony when Pepper walks in and he says, "Let's face it, this isn't the weirdest thing you've caught me doing." Right. The the half assembled, the bare bone skeleton with some red, white, blue color on it of the Captain America shield was was on the table. And my understanding was that that was there simply because some of the effects guys on that were working on the movie said wouldn't it be cool if we saw that back there yeah i remember listening to yeah. another podcast and one of the uh the, the uh special effects guys said exactly that 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 was put in their easter egg and and they loved it they thought it was great which of course worked out beautifully for uh iron man 2 yep cuz they loved it so much they went and made the physical prop to include in iron man 2 um right. but to answer your question no Going forward, probably from Thor forward, or even Iron Man 2 forward, um, if it's in there, it's in there for a reason. There, there's no yeah. more accidents with these with these uh, things being dropped in there. Yeah, we were, me and Frank and Bill, uh, Frank and Bill and I, grammatically speaking, were uh, talking about this very thing um, when we were talking about Guardians and all the possible connections and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think, I don't remember who said it, but one of us said that it seems like they got lucky with all the unintentional connections that happened in Iron Man and Hulk that were easy to pick up on later in later movies. Oh, I don't so. think there was a lot of unintentional ones. I think that shield was one, but I don't know that there was many like that. I think anything that's in more, there, there for a reason. More than the, like you said, more than, a lot of them weren't deliberate 
you know, they were, well, they were deliberate because they were an Easter egg or it was a tribute to something. Right. But like you said, from, from Thor on, there was, there were planned, yeah. scripted things. Yes. yes, I agree with that. There's things in there that were planned out. Some things they maybe they backed into using later, like the shield. Or or they may have, like, so when they got to, you know, four or five movies down the road, they're like, oh, remember we planted, we, we did this here? Can we spin off of that? But I think from Thor on, pretty much everything is a seed to something else. That may grow, that may not, but it's there for a reason. And yeah. I, to, to be fair, I'm sorry, I don't want to throw us off uh, rail no, too, no. too much, but to be fair, you know, while they're filming Iron Man, even if they weren't thinking Avengers and massive movie universe, they were definitely thinking at least trilogy because that's just yeah. what you do. Yeah. So, you know, the Ten Rings, which we're going to get to in a second, maybe they weren't thinking, hey, in Avengers 3, we could bring in the Mandarin, but they were definitely thinking in Iron Man 2 or 3. Yeah. Well, the Mandarin was on the table when they were first drafting in uh, Iron Man, the first Iron Man. Uh, it just got too much, too busy to pull off, but they definitely kept Ten Rings, obviously. Um, but that that was almost in, or that was in the early screening, but they decided it was too much to build yeah. up and too much to figure out. So they uh, they moved on with the uh, simpler, if you will, uh, uh, Ironmonger. So going back a little bit, again, to these uh, monta- this montage sequence of the young Tony Stark and his father and their relationship in the magazines, uh, one of them had... Uh, a mention of the arc reactor that Howard was working on the arc reactor when Tony was six years old. Like he was on the cover of that magazine. I don't know if it was Forbes or Newsweek or whatever. Um, and it was when Tony was six. And, and again, they said they mentioned the arc reactor. So again, knowing what we know now and that arc reactor technology, at least we've theorized on this show and other shows that the, the arc reactor technology is, is a pull from, Howard's experiences with the Tesseract, which obviously will come to fruition further down the road. Um, yeah, we know that now. Uh, uh, Nick Fury's line yeah. specifically was the arc reactor was a stepping stone to something bigger. Right. So again, so it was kind of cool to see that this arc reactor thing isn't just something that Tony dreamed up in the desert, you know, just on a whim that there there's, you know, and obviously when he get when he gets back home, we see there's this large scale operation uh, that they have set up that they um, uh, that um, Obadiah even says it's just more like a, a showpiece for the for the environmentalists more so than an actual, uh, you know, working model that that is efficient right. and effective. So uh, so again, so it, it, it kind of. When you look back on it, it's like, oh, wow, this is, you know, obviously has its roots back to what we think it does, and, and they've carried it forward. Um, I thought it was funny that, again, another one, I think this is one when, when he was a teenager, it showed the robot, the robot that he has down in his yeah. lab to this day that he, um, you know, gripes at and tries to shoot him with a fire I haven't watched Iron Man like 1 that, in was... some time, I admit, but did you notice, I noticed in Iron Man 3, he calls, he calls the robot dummy. Hey, dummy, over here. In Iron Man three, the yeah, uh, that's actually its name or its acronym, D U M Y. It's stenciled in the side of the robot. I didn't know if it was actually on there in in one or two or not. I don't recall seeing that. And and again, since I just watched uh, Iron Man just a couple days ago, I was I was being very meticulous and doing a lot of pausing and rewinding and and looking for stuff like that. And I didn't see that. Um, the other thing they mentioned is uh, that Howard Stark worked on the Manhattan Project. They referenced that a couple times. 
so it's it sounds like again knowing what we know from Captain America the First Avenger that obviously after you know possibly after Cap was lost mm-hmm. uh, he you know maybe it, it seems like Howard probably went back to New Mexico um, either that or or prior to the to that point we saw him in the war maybe he was uh in chicago working on the the early phases of the you know the manhattan project to build the well that also that also could have been a cover story to what he was really working on meaning experimenting in on the tesseract because if you recall the timing of the of captain america the winter soldier again this is a gray area of what did they know when they're making iron man versus what do we know now right. um you know, uh, Cap- the, the the war ended shortly after Captain America because he definitely was in there. And and let's also add to when he had his initial uh, interaction with the reporter, he was defending his 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 company and his father. My, my father helped beat the Nazis. You know, again, right. put him in that at that time frame, put him in that place of World War Two, setting us up for uh, what was to come with Captain America, uh, the first Avenger. Right. So I'm saying he's probably when he's saying we're on the Manhattan Project, yeah, he may have been, or they may have placed him there as cover when he was really working on the Tesseract experiment. Sure. That which is also effectively an energy project, right? Uh, they mentioned the Jericho weapon, which again was kind of that big showpiece uh, at the beginning of the movie, and they mentioned that it that the Jericho is is built around proprietary arc reactor technology, which I thought that was Repulsor. interesting. That was repulsor technology, I believe. Oh, repul- oh, repulsor. Okay, that wasn't gotcha. the arc reactor, but that was repulsor technology, which was um, today's Iron Man. Originally, the Iron Man armor was based was transistor technology, which we think was right. with transistors today. It's like that doesn't make any sense. But that's all about miniaturization. Um, but no, repulsor is the buzzword with Iron Man in the comics when this was out. So yeah, it was based on his repulsor technology. Right. Then we, uh, Doctor Yinsen. Who uh, it's funny when they first when he's first introduced in this movie he mentions uh, meeting how uh, meeting Tony at Burn at a conference and Tony has no memory of it so uh, again that was something when Iron Man three starts you know back to 1999 and he's at Burn at a conference and and Jensen actually comes up to him and uh, Tony completely blows him off so again I think that's one of those things they just is a throwaway line in Iron Man that come around Iron Man 3 and it's like oh let's let's revisit that you know let's let's bring this guy back and and show that you know they did have some interaction yeah that that could have happened anytime but that was nice a atta- nice callback to include him in there we got to see him again since you know we he, you know when he when he was killed you know allowing yeah. Tony to escape and that was really the the turnaround moment for Tony I mean that was the that's what really set him on the path to, uh, you know, to to go to do what he did. I mean, I think Yinsen, knowing that he was going to die to make sure Tony got out to, um, to stop what was going on, really affected him. I think more so than anything, more than his injury, more than you know anything. Um, of course, we already talked about the Ten Rings and the Mandarin. Uh, obviously, Mandarin not mentioned uh, by name, but Ten Rings, uh, which I, I I think is a cooler. I, I always thought that was a cooler way to handle that than, you know, having this crazy, um, you know, you know, probably racist at this point, um, you know, Asian man with the big, you know, Fu Manchu style mustache or mustache and crazy long fingernails with 10 rings, you know, five, five rings on each hand and uh, crazy garb and all that kind of stuff. So to kind of treat it like this nebulous terrorist organization, um, 
you know, and, and the symbols and everything else, I thought was really a cool way to modernize that uh, that outdated trope. Isn't there actually a ring that somebody wears? Yeah. Yeah, it was actually a great thing that I, I would love if they revisited this, but they the Ten Rings, I guess each of the, the – the, what we were presented with makes me think each of the uh, generals, commanders, heads, whatever, has a ring. Stain had a ring. Yes. And the head lead terrorist at the cave had a ring. Yes. Um, very prominent, very out there in your face, you can't miss it ring, um, suggesting there's eight more like them. At least that's that's how I took that. Yeah. But they didn't run with that. We didn't see that. Uh, there's a there's there's a mild. If you don't know about it, you'll miss it. Ten Rings reference in Iron Man two, and then of course Ten Rings in uh, Iron Man three, such that it is. But um, I ho- there's still a chance to go back to it in a future installment. I hope they do. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I thought was cool, and and I'll I'll point this out and then skip ahead a little bit, but uh, when when Tony was tasked with building a, a Jericho weapon for the Ten Rings organization, one of the things they made a point of is that he's pulling the palladium out of all the weapons, and that's what he used to pour into that mold to build the initial ring that that is the element that powered the the arc reactor, the the you know the reactor in his chest. And then one of the things I noticed was later on when he's back in his lab and he's back at home, he's drinking that green liquid. Now, it could just be it, it's some sort of new agey, you know, kale, yeah, kale shake, protein yeah. type drink. But it was very similar to what he was drinking in Iron Man 2 to combat the palladium poisoning. So I, I miss it. He was drinking that in Iron Man 1, huh? Yes, yes. Uh, so, again... It, was, um, it could have already been affecting him, but they didn't really run with it yet, which was right. fine. Right. So I thought that was kind of cool. Again, like they they specifically mentioned palladium in the in the arc reactor, and then they kind of show him drinking that drink, which, like I said, at the time it was probably just you know just something to do. But the fact that it that's very much front and center at the beginning of Iron Man Two, I thought was really cool. So I, I took that as kind of a connection connection as well. Uh, the the next thing I have on, on my notes to talk about, and this is kind of a funny thing, and I don't know if this is intentional, I don't know if this is uh, just coincidental, but it seems like not only in the movies, but in the TV shows, or in the TV show, there's a lot of shots dealing with airplane hangers or just uh, like helicopter hangers and people either jumping out of hangers <laughs> or um, or you know just being there. So we saw it in this one. Um, when Tony gets out of the plane, he exits like the C-130. He get you know the ramp comes down. And he gets out of the back. Um, of course, on Shield because their plane is that way. You know, there's always something going on with the back of that hangar. Uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Obviously, he jumps out of the plane. You know, without the parachute. Um, in the Avengers, they board the 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 Quinjet for for lack of a better term. I'm talking it, it, that also has a rear hatch. Um, as I was watching the Incredible Hulk, uh, when when um, uh, when Banner jumps out of the pl- out of the helicopter, it's it's like a hangar in the back of it. I just I just thought it was funny that there's always these shots of some sort of uh, plane hangar that that involves somebody either jumping out or falling out or whatever. That's it. That's the connection. We found it. Yes, yes, yes. It's all about the, the hangars. Um. Anyway, so I thought that was funny. Cap has made a living in comics for seventy five years, jumping out of. Jumping out of hangers, rolling up yes. into a ball, and landing, and not missing a stride. 
<laughs> yep. Yeah, that was a sticks to land in, and the Russian gets him a seven. That's right. <laughs> um, one of the other things too is is Stain talks about a new generations of weapons, a new generation of weapons with the arc reactor at the heart. Um, and obviously, Stain is very much a warmonger, and it's just kind of funny because again, it's like. He's basically doing what Hydra was doing in the beginning. They wanted to use the Tesseract to power all, and they did use the Tesseract to power all these weapons. And so Stain kind of sees that that same thing, which makes you wonder if um, if there's any connection there at all between the Ten Rings or between Stain and, and Hydra that they just never touched upon. Yeah, I mean, clearly Stain is a part of the Ten Rings, but there definitely could have been a, either a bigger connection to the two organizations either directly or... Um, or, or covertly. I mean, Hydra, as we learned, um, stayed in the shadows and directed things um, on their own. And, you know, they, they took credit for the death of Howard Stark, right? Yes. In Captain America. But did Stane overtly take credit for Howard's death as well in this movie? No. No, he didn't. Okay. Mm -mm. You know, because that's... I think in the comics as well, if not Stain, uh, then uh, the original uh, version of uh, uh, what's his name uh, from Iron Man Two. Oh, Vanko. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, Sam Rockwell's character. Oh, uh, Justin Hammer. Yeah, Justin Hammer. You know, I thought I thought somebody had a hand in Stark's death, but that's actually been out there how many different ways in the comics, really? So. Sure. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the people involved in the early Phase One movies, like must feel like they missed the boat. Like, what am I trying to say? You know, like, all these people that we're mentioning, like uh, Rockwell and... Um, Jeff Bridges. and Jeff Bridges and... Hey, Rock Rockwell, hey, even, Hammer's, Hammer's alive. We can see him again. We saw him in uh, Hail of the King. We can see him again. Right, but I guess what I'm getting at is, like, Frank Grillo got a four-picture deal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, now that this giant you know, conglomerate is what it is. All of these people are getting these giant, like four, five, six, nine picture yeah. deals. And the people that kind of got in on the ground floor, you know, they either got killed off in their movie or apparently, uh, Mickey Rourke had, uh, a bad experience of, of some sort. Yeah. But, uh, he, so he's not happy, you know, and, and, you know, whatever they killed off some characters early on. But now it's like, if, if you play anybody with any kind of recognition, you're getting like six pictures. Yeah, you're right, and you know it's funny because I, I look at them a little differently. I mean, I'm looking at, at at Frank Grillo and and even Sebastian Stan and the picture deals they got. Um, knowing the Captain America arcs in the comics and seeing as how they're not directly doing the Brewbreaker run, which I think we've all really enjoyed, but the knowing the place that those characters that these actors play have in in that run. It makes sense that they got them locked in for X number of pictures because there's a lot to do with them. Sure. Um, I'm not in a big rush to see, you know, Warmonger again or Ironmonger again or any of that. It's, it's they they serve their purpose. You know who I did want to see, and it, it's not to say that we won't. Um, who played uh, Abomination in Tim Roth? Oh, yeah. And you know, we still could. There's a chance. I I'm. I would love a standalone Hulk movie. They've got the leader queued up, ready to go. It could be amazing. Um, Agents of Shield has referenced Abomination as being still alive and in prison in the in Alaska, yep. so it's certainly possible. 
but it's all CG now. I don't think Abomination ever reverts back to human form. So, I mean, they could do it. It's they would do whatever they want, but I don't think we'd see Tim Roth again, though. And the yeah. list of open threads is really short because, like you said, Feige's paying attention to everything now. You know, like yeah. you're not going to see something like the leader dangle this long in any other of these franchises, I don't think. Yeah. Well, it's funny, speaking of Feige, or as uh, Bill McGonnell would say, Kevin Feige, um, he, I can't resist. Love you, Bill. <laughs> uh, when you look back at, at Iron I'm Man. I'm going to tell Hulk, on you. Yeah, I'm going to totally that, tell on you. Well, that's what I'm makes throwing, it fun. I'm throwing you under the bus. Uh, yeah. It's not any fun if you talk to somebody behind their back. they got to hear what you're saying. I know. Even if it's after the fact. Um, He was a, a like a regular producer on this movie and The Incredible Hulk. He wasn't like executive producer, mastermind in charge like he is now. I think that came, I think with Iron Man 2, that's when he kind of rose to the ranks. So if you look back at Kevin Feige's uh, IMDb history. He pretty much produced every Marvel movie going back to uh, the 2000 X Men movie, and he was kind of like Avi Arad's protege, if yeah. I if I and recall. If I remember right, when when they first created this Marvel Studios and they had get funding, and we've talked before, they it was very much like an independent film, but it was Avi Arad's um, his clout in in the financing side of it that got them the startup money to even be able to do this, and yeah. and he. When, when we all give, either in the media or in credits, in, in other articles, give Feige the credit that he deserves for the success of the MCU, he's kind of right there saying, hey, you wouldn't have it without me. And it's like, yeah, but if your hands were all over it, we'd have Fantastic Four or Spider-Man whatever. So, yeah, credit for credit's due for giving us a startup. And that's probably where, I don't know, did he have an executive producer credit on Iron Man? Was his name on the Not first on, book, first movies? He. The first two, he was just producer. He was not uh, executive Feige, producer. Irad, Avi, uh, oh, I write. They were co-producers. So, okay. so for the first two, it was Avi Arad right. slash uh, Kevin Feige that were producer, right. not executive. But, uh, but producer, after producer. Hulk, um, then Irad's, Avi Arad is out. out, and now Feige's executive, and, yeah. and and that makes sense given what we witnessed of of the development of Marvel Studios MCU. I mean, after those two movies, they pretty much had their footing, and not a blank check, but they had the, the the leeway to they've been proven at that point they can all but do what they want because we had Iron Man one and Hulk both came out in two thousand eight nothing in two thousand nine and then we've pretty, been pretty consistently two or one a year since then. Right. What's interesting is um, if anything if there's any criticism of the Marvel movies in the period of time you just mentioned it's that the villains are underplayed. You know, like they're usually yeah. aren't the, the villains haven't been as strong. If these right. were uh, if these were Arad movies, we would have been getting four or five villains per movie. Yeah, like totally overrunning yeah. the yeah. hero. You know, like Spider Man stuff right. like sure. that. Yeah. Now I, I heard a discussion maybe it was on Facebook uh, once before that I mean people get hung up in the whole Marvel versus DC when it comes to these movies, but really it's Marvel Studios versus the traditional movie-making, studio-driven movie-making. Marvel Studios has a very clear focus on what they want to do. They know these characters. They know these properties. They know what they want to get out of these, these films. You go to just about any other movie, it's being run by the studio down to say, oh, 
people like dark, so we need a dark movie in this, you know, greatest hero Superman movie. Or, well, Green Lantern was had jokes and it tanked, so that means no jokes in in these other movies. You know, it's, it's being driven by notes and 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 interference from the uh, from the studio, which is where I squarely will put the the blame on Spider Man Three. Was the studio pushed? Um, Ramy into Sam Ramy into doing something he yeah. didn't want to do and suffer because of that. Marvel Studios doesn't have that issue because they know these characters so well. They know what to do and how they want to do it. Not just in making a great movie, but also in building in these Easter eggs and planting seeds for down the road. Even if it's just in Captain America: The Winter Soldier, um, you hear the name Stephen Strange once. They've now established him in the MCU. He's ready to go. They're, he's queued up, ready to go. To, that he's out there. He exists. True. Uh, so to finish up Iron Man, there's two, I guess, big pieces uh, th- that this movie sets up moving forward in a huge, huge way. Uh, the first one is a little uh, bit part played by uh, by a man named Clark Gregg, and that's uh, Agent Phil Coulson, who uh, introduces us to S.H.I.E.L.D., which was kind of funny how he just kind of popped in a few places there. Uh, he didn't think much of the, of the role at the time, but... Um, he will kind of be the thread that continues on, uh, yeah, through the movies. He he is the spark that pulls the Avengers together. His death uh, pulls the Avengers together. Uh, spoiler alert: He is now the director of the newly uh, revamped Shield. So, uh, for something that started out as a little bit part, uh, surely turned into a great career for Clark Gregg. And I think, uh, you know, as as listeners of this show know. We think very highly of Clark Gregg. You know, we love his his performances, uh, Phil Coulson, and uh, so you know, it's just kind of interesting to see how again something something that could have easily you know if 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 that didn't work or they didn't want to go in that direction, that's something they could have easily just kind of tossed to the side. Um, but they didn't. They they went uh, they went whole hog with it. So and uh, everybody think back to the first time you saw Iron Man in the theaters, first viewing. When we first met Phil Coulson, he introduced himself as he was from the Strategic Homeland Intervention Espionage Logistics Division. How many of you actually listened to that and actually got, oh, that's S.H.I.E.L.D.? Oh, yeah, immediately. Okay. I actually know of people who didn't. They, they missed it. And people, comic people who, who know better missed it. And they were surprised at the end when he said, just call S.H.I.E.L.D. It's like, what? You didn't? Yeah. Yeah. I was curious. I think I hit whoever I was with because I was so excited. <laughs> you know, like you're sitting next to him and my right hand just kind of whacked out and hit their chest or whatever. It might have been my buddy. Uh, it might have been Bill or Frank or somebody. Just boom. Oh, dude, they just said what I think they said. It was an exciting thing to hear it that. It was, wasn't yeah. it? It really yeah. was. Um, and, of course, the the first time that we got the infamous end credit scene we see none other than Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, and that's that's a jaw dropper. Like that is, um, I've said it before. It's uh, life imitating art, imitating life, or art or the reverse. Um, you know, we've we've mentioned a hundred times, but the fact that um, they decided to put a rendition of Samuel L. Jackson in the Ultimates um, and to have him play that character in real life, I thought was. Uh, was just a, a great way to come full circle with it. Do we know, I'm trying to think back again, like Ken just said, to uh, seeing Iron Man for the first time. 
Um, did everybody know that there was an after credit scene? Is that something that they yeah. kind of announced before yeah. stay? Okay. No, wait, did they announce it or did we just learn to stay like we heard on the internet or something? I can't remember how that went down. Well, I mean, we heard word of mouth like you have to stay to the end. You have to stay to the end. Um, but mo- you know, now it's just a given. Yeah. But that was the first time, like at the very end, end credits, like you need to stick around because they're gonna, you know, they're gonna show something. Oh, well, the first time was Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but first Marvel movie was right. That's and that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. Um, the best were uh, Cannonball Run. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the outtakes during these bleeds. The, these bleeds. These effing bleeds. <laughs> oh, shit. And um, actually, that's funny because <laughs> there's a Dom DeLuise. Oh, I'm way off track now. There's a Dom DeLuise outta- outtake in Cannibal Run where he says, I always wanted to be Captain, Captain America. America. Yes. <laughs> Instead of Captain USA. Yeah. Yes. It, it's a living. So moving on to Hulk, uh, the Incredible Hulk, I should say, not Hulk. Uh, I, th- I think if I make mention, because I've mentioned this in the past, uh, that the Angley Hulk movie has may I think there's things that could fit in the timeline, Stop. and I Stop. and I duck because I think Ken Stop. will punch me in the face. Stop. <laughs> Hulk is not part of the MCU. The Incredible Hulk is. The two are not connected. There's no connection. There is one connection. There's no connection. They're both distributed by Universal Pictures. That's true. I'll give you that much. But as as a plot, as a story, they, they don't. And I admit, I agree, I can see that it started that way, but ultimately they decided to just um, start over, clean slate it. Yes, it starts with him in Brazil, which is where the other one ended. Um, but that is a coincidence more than uh, nothing else. I, I There are no nanobots in anyone's bloodstreams. There's no poodles. There's no uh, absorbing man, none of that. No daddy issues. No daddy issues. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny. One of the th- one of the things I watched, uh, the Incredible Hulk probably has more deleted scenes than every other Marvel movie put together. Uh, for for whatever reason, they just included a ton of deleted scenes on the on the Blu-ray. Um, but one of them is there's a scene in there where where Bruce has he's he's Banner. He's not the Hulk. He has a gun. And he's about to pull the trigger, uh, you know, basically put the gun to his head and pull the trigger. Yeah. And then he, he hulks out. And, and it just made me, reminded me of the scene in The Avengers. Yep. When, yeah, when Banner says, you know, I got low, you know, I, I put a gun to my, you know, put a gun in my mouth and the other, you know, the other guy pulled the spit trigger and the other guy spit it out. Right. Um, now, Russ. Not that this is supposed to be connected, but isn't that scene in Hulk versus? Oh man, I, yeah, I believe so. Because it might be, yeah. I, it's been so long since I seen that, but I remember when it came out. I thought I swear you're right that we talked about that at the time. Yeah, and we were like, "Holy cow!" They just, you know, they didn't show it, but you hear the bang, it blacks yes. out, and then he wakes up and he's the Hulk. Right. You know, I thought it was pretty hardcore at the time for an animated, you know. Yeah. Let me, let me jump in real quick. The um, We talked about you know, there might have been two cases where things got dropped into the movies that Feige or someone didn't plan on or didn't, didn't necessarily directly approve. This didn't make it into the movie, but this could be another one of those references. That same scene you're talking about, Russ, it ends with the Hulk going on a rampage and causing uh, an avalanche on this iceberg. Yes. And if you do like the pause and slow advance frame by frame – 
you will catch in the ice um, a figure with a red, white, and blue shield. Yeah. Um, and that is, if I remember correctly, almost right out of the original Avengers comic because yes. it was the Hulk goes off on his own, has a rampage in the Arctic, and breaks some ice, and that's how we find the next issue of Captain America. Bunch so, of bunch of Eskimos find bunch uh, of Eskimos find him, yeah, yeah. and uh, and Namor. Uh, but that's um, that would have been a nice nod if that had been included. Uh, not official, not canon. Didn't make the film. Was in deleted scenes, so it's not quote unquote real. Uh, but still a cool scene nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing to to point out the cave scene. Jumping ahead a little bit with Incredible Hulk, but there's a scene after uh, the college campus when they try and stop the Hulk. They think they got him trapped. Um, uh, there's a big explosion. The Hulk protects Betty. They uh, run off, or he runs off with Betty. Um, and there's a scene between the two of them in a cave with a lot of rain and thunder and lightning and stuff. And uh, that scene is very much uh, reminiscent of the uh, Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale uh, miniseries Hulk Gray. Um, uh, Loeb and Sale did a bunch of uh, did a series of uh, Marvel miniseries. That they call it the Color Series, where it was like Spider-Man Blue and Daredevil Yellow, Hulk Gray. Um, so there's a scene in there that's very much like that. And on the on the Blu-ray, they actually um, put that that segment in the. Um, they actually kind of animated a little bit the panels move and everything else. Um, of that scene on the Blu-ray, which I thought was cool. So again, kind of a nice connection and callback. Um, the opening- that's my favorite scene in in that whole movie. Yeah, it's it's watching really- him, you know, growl and at, at the lightning and the thunder, like he's yeah. doing everything he can to protect her. I thought that was really cool. The Hulk's always been one of my favorite uh, characters, and to actually see him emote is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, while you're on that cave scene, real quick, um, do you recall where the the college campus is? Is it? It's on the east coast somewhere. Do you remember where it is? I'm I'm thinking it's the east coast at least. Uh, did they, I, did they identify it? No, but I think it's. They they didn't they didn't identify exactly where it was, but I believe it's somewhere near New York. Okay, because it's close enough to drive to New York. Right. Clearly. Right. Uh, the re- the reason I'm asking is because if you think about the timeline at this point and. In terms of timeline, Iron Man 2, Hulk, and Thor all kind of overlap each other to different degrees. Yes. In fact, Iron Man 2 actually happens mostly before Hulk, and um, and Hulk overlaps Thor. So a lot of people suspected during that rainstorm, there's thunder, there's lightning. Was that a reference to Thor? Was something going on with Thor at that point? I don't think so. But it's just worth. I wanted to point out that overlapping of timeline, how things are happening right now. Yeah. You know, if we when we get to Iron Man two, and we'll talk about at the end when they're in this makeshift uh, shield uh, uh, workspace or, yeah. or you, know, you know whatever, it's uh, uh, you see newsreels going on and they're showing the news coverage of the college campus like it's happening you know within hours, day a day of of that, uh, and. At that point, Coulson had already been dispatched to New Mexico, so Thor is is on the cusp of happening at that point. Um, a lot of things are moving at this point. A lot of things are happening in the MCU right now. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really appreciated with the Incredible Hulk, because it had been a relatively short amount of time since we got um, the actual Ang Lee Hulk. The other and Hulk. The other Hulk, yeah. Um, the one that doesn't count. The other guy. Yeah, the other guy. Um, 
they didn't rehash the origin, which they could have easily done. I really like the fact that they used the opening credit sequence to go to rehash all that, and they started the ground running with the Hulk being a known quantity and being around for a while, and you know there there being that whole anger between Ross and and Banner and the Hulk um, and everything like that. I I just think that was the right right way to do it. I don't think we really needed to see or have this movie bogged down with an origin story because you know the the Hulk for the most part, has a relatively simple origin. You know, no matter how you dice it up, it doesn't really need to be belabored, I think, at this point. Um, but the but the origin they dis- they showed us in the opening credits was very, very, very similar to the origin of the Incredible Hulk from the 1970s uh, Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno TV series. Now, does he mention... Do we know why Banner did all of this in, yeah. in this universe? Yes, yeah, uh, Ross specifically mentions the fact that he was working on gamma-related technology. He didn't know it was weapons necessarily, like or, or uh, uh, super soldier we- weaponizing the super soldier for him that formula. That he was working on something related to that, but um, and I, I guess the funding was running low, and so he decided to test it on himself, um, which uh, you know again parallels to to what's come before. So. So he, he kind of was in the know, but kind of not in the know. I think we probably should have included Ed Norton and Terrence Howard on that list of people that probably yeah. feel like they missed the boat. Well, you know what? they That's definitely their own doing. I mean, they both had their own versions of a temper tantrum, and the, but they could have been in this for a long ride. And and I, I think... Terrence, I, Ter- Terrence Howard, I think, was the victim more of... He got a huge, huge payday because he was the first one. This is as the story goes. You know, who knows? You know what the true details are. But as the story goes, Terrence Howard was hired before anybody else, as far as actors on the movie. He was given a huge payday because at the time he was uh, a known quantity. You know, uh, been around for a while. You know, famous actor maybe. I guess maybe you could put that label on him. Um, And then when it came around time to do the second one. They weren't going to give him that kind of money, and so he basically just was like, "Well, screw you guys! If you're not going to, you know, give me the payout, then I'll go do something else." Yeah. With Norton, I think Norton was his own worst enemy because they brought him in to play Banner, uh, but he he's kind of a control freak, from what I understand, and he likes to be able to fine tune. Uh, the script, and he had a big part of the reason why they brought him in was to kind of work on the script and be able to to tweak and fine tune stuff. And it's almost like the 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 banner part was kind of given to him as you know like a bonus or whatever. Um, and I think there was just a lot of conflict, you know, with him because maybe to some degree, kind of like Edgar Edgar Wright, you know, he wants to do it his way. He's used to his right. way of filmmaking. Um, you know, Edward Norton has you know has written many movies in the past and i think it was just like his will was a little too strong for the marvel brand at least that's kind of how i saw it and And, and i think a lot of that experience i think the script was great i really enjoyed the hulk movie yes granted it's low on my list but that doesn't speak to its quality it just speaks to the quality of the other ones right i really enjoyed um enjoyed the uh the hulk but i think the lessons that they learned dealing with ed norton probably went a long way into uh, what happened with Edgar Wright was like, hey, listen. And one thing I read was like they kind of had this feeling for a while that Edgar Wright wasn't going to quite work out. He wanted to do his own thing a little too much. And and one thing we do know about 
Marvel is, as we've been talking about, they want they want these connections. They say, okay, here you're doing Ant Man. Go make your movie. These ten things have to happen to get us where we need to be. I, I'm just I'm just kind of guessing how it goes, but I don't know how it went down. But either way, it didn't fit. Meanwhile, James Gunn has been very public saying how he made the movie he wanted to make. And yeah. he thanks Marvel for their for allowing him to make the movie he wants to, to make. Very different from what Edgar Wright was saying, you know, or what we're hearing about Edgar Wright's experience, you know, because clearly they didn't want him to make the movie he wanted to make for one reason or another. But at least James Gunn got the Marvel formula enough to say, okay, you need me to do A, B, and C, and let me make my movie, and they and and off he went. Yeah, and Whedon, not to get too far off the path there, but Whedon actually looked at the first draft of of Gunn's script and and shot it back to him and said. No, I don't. I don't like this. You need to make it more James Gunn. You're trying, you're trying to make this something that's not you, and you need to go back and make this you. Um, right. And then we got what we got. So, um, so, so that's it's even it's, better. That's even more than to the point. You yeah. Know, it, they, when you get the right person, and you want to let him do his job the way he knows how to do it. Right. And Marvel's and, got a brand, and they got to protect that brand, and they're not going to let anybody do. come in and do anything that they feel is going to go against uh, the brand. So the way it is yep. um all right so going back uh more opening credit stuff so there's a lot of cool stuff if you really watch the opening credit sequence of uh of oh. the incredible hulk there's a bunch of requisitions from stark industries for different weaponry um and all kinds of technology that's yep. really cool to see a lot of it a lot of which we'll see later on that they're actually put into play like that uh that sonic cannon yeah on the, the the jeep a few things like that yeah uh Memos from Fury and Shield, as you're putting down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Shield memos were cool. So again, um, you know, Hulk, uh, Iron Man at this point was only a few months old, and yet here we go. We're seeing you know Shield, which was barely mentioned, um, you know, a few times in Iron Man is is. I realized it to be a lot more prominent watching you know again on this rewatch than maybe I have in the past. Um, uh, the, you know, they make mention of. You know, contact, previous contact or attempted contact between Banner and Betsy Ross um, right. and things like that. Uh, and then when the movie starts, we start out with 158 days without an incident. So from the time he had whatever the previous altercation was to the current, you know, to that day was basically, six, um, you know, five, uh, I guess five months at that point or rough, roughly five months. Um, so if you figure... You know, you're not sure how long he was the Hulk before, you know, beforehand, if, if, you know, that was it. So, you know, we're thinking at this point, the Hulk has been around for at least a year, maybe two at, at this point, I would, I would say maybe a year and a half, um, ish. Uh, yeah. You know, by the, by the time that we, we start with, uh, the Incredible Hulk. So again, kind of predates, um, or, or very close to, to when Iron Man kind of comes on the scene, when Stark kind of has his... Well, no, his, I, I, yeah, I haven't incident. seen anything to think that these movies aren't taking place in the, in the year they're being, they're, right. they're released. So Iron Man happened in 2008. Hulk happened in 2008. If Betsy Ross, he was trying to catch contact Betsy Ross in 2006, you know, that means he hulked out earlier than that. So he's right. been the Hulk for a couple years, like he said, and, um... We know Iron Man 2 happened six months after Iron Man 1, and we know this movie happens right after or right. concurrent to the end of Iron Man. So it's been six months since Iron Man's been on the scene. Right. So the the, the funny part is, so at the beginning, uh, Banner's working at the Pingo Doce uh, Soda Factory in, in Brazil. And um, as come, this is this is kind of a recent connection uh, that we're able to point out, is that it's come out that 
during some Ant-Man f- uh, filming, we've seen some Pingo Doce uh, posters hanging up on the wall. So obviously they're, um, you know, there's not too many direct, uh, you know, references to the Hulk movie. But so that's kind of cool that they're yeah. coming back to that to kind of give it some legitimacy. And that's one of those things that I think that uh, I was talking about they'll back into. It's like, hey, we need something to put in that sign. Someone to remember this and say, hey, what if we did this? That's perfect. Put it there. Yeah. You guys know what Pingo Doce is in uh, in the real world? No. Pink Dog? No, it's a it's one of the largest supermarket chains in Portugal. Ah, which makes sense. Oh, cool. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, that does make sense. I mean, he's in Brazil. He should be Portuguese or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to tie a couple of these. Uh, there's there's some really cool, uh, we mentioned one earlier, but but there's a couple other really cool references to the 70s Incredible Hulk TV series. So I'll kind of just kind of quick hit these uh, together because uh, they don't really tie into the Marvel Universe itself. But again, I just like these connections to what's come before it. So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, the first one is uh, Banner's trying to learn Portuguese, and this group of thugs is kind of messing with him, and he and he tries to say, you won't like me when I'm angry, and ends up saying, you won't like me when I'm hungry, which is, is kind of funny because, again, that was the, the big you know line from the 70s Hulk TV series is Banner telling McGee, you know, don't make me angry, Mr. McGee. You wouldn't like yeah. me when I'm angry. Hey, let me dial back before we get that far. When we find him uh, at his apartment, he's learning when he, how how he's learning Portuguese, he's watching television, he's watching but, Sesame Street, yeah. and as he's flipping channels, he comes across um, a dubbed version of, of an old, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, of Eddie's father's so there's there's Bill Bixby's appearance on uh, in this movie, which is really cool. Yeah, um, Lou Ferrigno makes an appearance. Obviously, the the man that played uh, the Hulk on the the TV show and does the voice work. Pretty much, he did the voice work in this one. Did the voice work in the Avengers uh, for the Hulk. Uh, so that was kind of cool. Plays a security guard uh, in in uh, the college. So that was kind of cool. Uh, there's a point when Banner uh, leaves Portugal or uh, Portugal leaves Brazil, and he wakes up and he's in Guatemala, and uh, they play the actual sad Hulk music, um, which fans of Half Hour Wasted will uh, be very familiar with. That uh, Brad Brad likes to throw that chestnut in there. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how to do that for this show, but I don't have my stuff set up to do so. But yeah, that's a. Can't you play it on guitar or something? Uh, I, I tried to learn it on guitar, but I gave up because I'm lazy. Yeah. Um, there's a reference to uh, Jack McGee uh, being a journalism student at the college, and of course, Jack McGee was kind of like the nemesis of uh, of. A banner in the Hulk in the TV show. He was the guy that just kind of followed him around and tried to prove that the two of them were related somehow, um, and that that banner wasn't actually dead. Uh, so that was that was again kind of cool. Um, so I, again, I li- I kind of like those, you know, just kind of like a little wink and a nod to uh, to what's come before it. So that was kind of cool. Um, I loved that Hulk show as a kid. Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. Got getting near the end, and they had the Thor episode. Looking back on it now, but it was fun at the time. Yeah, Rex Reed as Daredevil. That was more than was it? Only one with Thor? Didn't they do like an arc, or maybe two or three? It was like know, a trial, it was a late Hulk movie. Thing. Yeah, it was a movie. It, it was a movie. Yeah, like made for TV movie, so it was a little bit longer. I think yeah, the, Matt Murdock might have been his lawyer in one of those trials or something. It was. Yeah, it was yeah. Rex. 
It was Re- not. Uh, was it Rex? No, not it was Rex, Rex Reed. Uh, the guy who would one day be Streethawk. Yes, yes, yes. Something Reed, or anyway. I think it is Rex Reed, isn't it? I thought that was the movie critic guy. Oh yeah, maybe. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, been a decade or two since I've seen that. So now we get into to the real connections this movie has to the rest of the Marvel Universe. And the obvious one is the, the prominence of the super soldier formula. That the whole purpose behind Banner becoming the Hulk with Ross putting him on the project and for the work they were doing was to try and reinvent the super soldier serum uh, from World War II. And at one point in a really cool moment that I, I paused and analyzed with great detail... Uh, General Ross takes uh, Blonsky into this uh, dusty old room. Uh, or actually, actually, he doesn't. He goes in there to get something, um, and we see this cryogenic uh, tube or uh, container that uh, is is all metal and looks very yep. much like it came out of the forties because it's the it's the um, uh, you know metal stamped uh, you know label on the on the container. Um, and it and it says Stark Industries on there, which is really cool because obviously at this time, Captain America: The First Avenger wasn't you know much more than a gleam in somebody's eye, uh, and knowing that Howard Stark played as big of a role uh, and Stark Industries itself played as big of a role uh-huh. in that movie as it did, it was really cool to kind of see that logo there, um, and it even said Vita Ray yep. on the on the the label, and it also said Weapon Plus, which um, is really interesting because technically. So they've kind of retconned in the comics. Um, you know, Wolverine is always known as Weapon X, and they've kind of come through and said that it's not X, it's 10. Um, and that Weapon 1 was, uh, you know, Steve Rogers, that the Super Soldier formula and project was Weapon 1, and it's moved on from there. And so they've kind of labeled that whole project the Weapon Plus project. Uh, so it's kind of funny to see that Marvel really doesn't have the rights to the X-Men stuff, and this is more closely associated, I think, with the X-Men than it is with anything else. Uh, but to see that on there was really cool. Uh, the doctor uh, associated with the project, like the one in charge of making this this formula, was la- labeled on that on that label as Dr. Reinstein, which um, we know from the comics uh, and, and from Captain America, the Winter Soldier, that it's really Dr. Erskine. But apparently they've kind of gone back and forth and retconned it into where he was also known as Dr. Reinstein, not doc, not just Dr. Erskine. And I think it was a, I think at the time it was probably to correct a mistake somebody made in the writing process. Um, but if you make it fit, you know, like if you look at Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and the fact that the Red Skull knew who Dr. Erskine was, he was a, an escapee from Germany, um, he, he was a known quantity, uh, that the fact that he would have done this under the name Dr. Reinstein makes perfect sense because he would be trying to be, you know, kind of keep under the radar or whatever. So I thought that was really cool uh, and, that it, and that it definitely works uh, either way they would have done it. And then, of course, inside the, the container, cryogenically frozen, is the blue liquid. So, again, we get to Captain America, the first Avenger, and when they hook Steve up to the... To the machinery they put these big blue vials in there that get injected into into steve um before he's hit with you know the the actual vita ray so i thought that was cool again it was a a blue liquid in a glass cylinder that looked very much like it'll look moving forward in captain america the first avenger i remember when i first saw the trailer 
for Captain America: The First Avenger, and they showed bits of that scene. You know, like you know, you know, ready, Mr. Stark, and I did just what you did. I went back and I peeled apart that scene, and that was probably the moment when I knew this whole MCU was going to be special. The fact that well, the three movies later, they had such a deep tie-in to the Hulk, to that to that moment. Just it was fairly subtle and quick, but it was detailed. That is like this. Yeah. This is going to be a big deal as it grows. And now, look, as we have a podcast devoted to it. Yeah. Um, so a few few more things with uh, the Incredible Hulk. Um, obviously, we get uh, Emil Blonsky, the Abomination, uh, played by Tim Roth, who. Was mentioned in uh, later episodes of Agents of Shield, where um, uh, Coulson says, "You know, I'll have you, uh, what is it, guarding Blonsky in Alaska or some or something like that." So, I thought that was cool again that they call back the fact that he is not dead, that they've, you know, got him on ice. Which again, when you see the consultant, the Marvel one shot that was on the, I think that was the one that was on the Thor Blu-ray, if I'm not mistaken. Which one? Um, the the consultant. The consultant was on. Th- Thor, yes. Right. Um, so, again, that was kind of funny how, how, how that fits in. And, again, that, so that's where kind of Blonsky is at. Um, Russ, when you rewatch The Hulk uh, and you see Blonsky on the college campus sort of showing off the super soldier yes. um, powers, I remember when I originally saw The Hulk, I remember saying that's what the Captain America movie is going to be like. Yeah, yeah, because you know, of, of did, does it hold up to this day it when does. you rewatch? Like, wow, it's cool. It does because uh, there's a, there's a couple scenes that are really really badass, and one of them is when they they assault the Hulk on the on the college campus, and the soldiers are out there and they're kind of running towards them, and Blonsky comes from way behind and just starts running at full tilt and passes them all up, and it very much felt like. Um, from Captain America, when they show Cap, you know, doing the run, um, not, not not the Winter Soldier, but in First Avenger, like when he's running after the guy that that kills Doctor Erskine, um, and he's running down the street and stuff like that. It felt very much like that, very natural. Um, and then when he kind of jumps on the Hulk, and uh, not really kind of engaging him specifically, but just like the way he kind of flips around and and jumps around and you know kind of dodges and everything else it felt very much like the way that cap moved in the first avenger and in uh winter soldier so and of course the avengers too um so yeah i felt it definitely held up that was one of the coolest parts of the hulk um you know for seeing it the first time anyway yeah that was yeah i mean that that was a pretty impressive scene um for sure you know the whole sonic um, you know, weapon bit and, and the whole nine yards. Um, so, uh, a couple other things, just real quick. The whole Mr. Blue, Mr. Green thing was something, again, that's appeared in the comics. Uh, and when they're tracking him, it was really cool because uh, it shows just how much Ross was working with S.H.I.E.L.D., that the military works with S.H.I.E.L.D., and we've kind of seen that in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, when General Talbot shows up towards the end of the season, you can definitely tell there's some connections there. Um, but the fact that, you know, they added the, the terms Mr. Blue and Mr. Green to the S.H.I.E.L.D. database to kind of track everything, uh, which which makes sense, you know, given what we know about S.H.I.E.L.D. and how intertwined they are with everything. Um, and the fact that, uh, you know, in the Avengers, you know, they make a point of saying that S.H.I.E.L.D. knew where Banner was and what was going on, and they opted to just kind of let him be. 
so that so that was that was kind of a neat. Let's let's look at that for a second. So let's think about the consultants and the Tony Stark scene. They sent Fury or Tolson sent Stark in there to to get get uh, Ross to say no. But what the original goal purpose was, they Shield the higher ups wanted Blonsky on the Avengers, which they which Col- or, uh, Fury didn't want any part of. Well, right. let's look at all of that through the lens of Shield has been infiltrated by Hydra this whole time. Hydra is looking to influence this Avengers initiative by getting the unstable guy, getting the bad guy, however you want to call him, get Blonsky in there. Was that a Hydra ploy? You know what they what we've been able to figure out. They manipulate the good guys, quote unquote, to their own ends. I mean, they got you know uh, Nick Fury building weapons and and leading. Uh, Project Insight when really it was a Hydra project the whole time. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they had uh, Hydra had an agenda in getting Blonsky on the on the team. And Sitwell was Sitwell's, was in he, on, well, he on was that in on that meeting, that meeting so. but he was all about sending the he was the one who suggested sending the consultant in. Now granted he's probably thinking this isn't a f- battle I want to fight. I'm going to just run with Colson on this one. I'm not ready to blow my cover yet. Right, right, right. Somebody should have thought of that because that should have been mentioned. Even if they pulled it out of their butts after the fact, which they probably would have, they should have mentioned that when they talked about everything that Hydra had there. Well, that's why they wanted Blonsky. That's all they had to do. Right, exactly. That's all they had to do. But nobody picked it up. You just did. I should be writing this stuff. That's right. Get me in that room. Let's go. Second half of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s on me. Yeah. One of the cool things I saw, again, I should have mentioned this in the connections to the early TV show, but uh, at the end of the movie, Betty sends uh, Bruce a letter, and she addresses it to David B., which that was one of the changes they made for the the Incredible Hulk TV show was he wasn't he wasn't Bruce Banner. He was David. I think it was actually David Bruce Banner. They, they kind of switched his names around a little bit. Well, in the comics, it started out as Bruce, and then one at one point, Stan Lee accidentally called him Bob Banner and then <clears throat> they um, in the future to correct that they revealed that Bruce was actually his middle name and he went by Bruce and his real name was Robert Bruce right. Banner right the real the real reason of course was Stanley named his characters with the same initials so he went for good names and that didn't work because he still forgot the name yeah exactly so then we find out that Banner after New York um, at least towards the end of the movie, is he's, he's been on his own for 30 days because we find out that it's 30 days at the counter, which is really cool. It shows 30 days without an incident. He's learning to breathe, and then he goes green. So, you know, the, the, the intention after the, at the end of this movie is, uh, which makes sense based on how we see him in the Avengers to some degree, he's learning to kind of control it, I think. Like, he's he's learning to embrace the fact that he can't cure what he is. I think, you know, up until this point, you know, in in, in this Hulk movie, it, it was all about finding a cure. Like, that's what he's been doing for the past couple few years is trying to find a way to, to get rid of this thing. And I think, you know, what he's come, come to learn with at the end of, of this movie and certainly in the Avengers is um, there's no cure. He just needs to, to, to learn how to to deal with this thing and to be able to control it as best he can um, to, to be on the right side of it. So that was cool. Um, and, of course, the biggest connection in the whole movie that we have 
is at the very end when Ross is feeling defeated, he's uh, in in the bar, and I keep he he keeps saying reload, and uh, the bartender just fills up his drink again, and of course, of course Tony Stark comes in, um, you know, and tells him he you know he hears he has a problem, and then he says you know we're putting a team together, and that's kind of how it ends. So um, again, that was kind of like an after the fact kind of uh, scene. I think you know once they realize they they had a hit with Iron Man, and I think before they even wrapped complete production on either movie i think they kind of saw that there was some magic there um that they they rushed downey jr over to to film this scene um for the incredible hulk and i thought i thought that was just really really cool the fact that um you know at this point it appears that you know banner is you know trying to help ross with you know caging the hulk um and working working it that way um but 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 that's that's pretty cool yeah, that was another. Mind oh yeah, that's good. But also established yeah. that they were still going and still doing the, uh, you know, pro- still pursuing the Avengers initiative. Um, it also created a question uh, when Iron Man two came out. Everyone, everyone know did it happen before or after Hulk? And they said clearly it right. happened before. In fact, it ends with him being a being a consultant, and they hit on that later on with you know sending the consultant. Um, but yeah, because when Iron Man Two begins, he wants no part of the Super Secret Boy Band, as he put it. Right, right. Um, so I think that's where we end with with the Incredible Hulk. Um, and so the last bit that we have uh, to talk about in this show before we get you know way too long uh, is Iron Man Two. And I think this is probably the linchpin, right? I mean, I think they you know Iron Man came out and overperformed. Incredible Hulk came out, and I think. I wouldn't say overperformed, but I wouldn't say underperformed either. I think it did write about what they thought that that it would do, and they were happy with it. And I think uh, critically, it it was well received, whereas the Ang Lee Hulk movie was not. So I think they felt like they could they could use that momentum and build off of it. Um, and then they're full bore with Iron Man two. I mean, Iron Man two is definitely a setup to say we are definitely making an Avengers movie and all this crap that we've been doing is all connected to each other and we're going to throw in a bunch more to show you know, how all in we are towards this uh, initiative. Um, and I, th- I think I love it that much the more for it. Um, I-, I know, John, you, you are probably the biggest Iron Man 2 flag waver of the bunch. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorite Marvel movies. I just thought it was a ton of fun. I thought there were... So many scenes in it that were awesome, you know, Monaco and and uh, the introduction of War Machine and, and getting to see, you know, Iron Man and War Machine fighting kind of back to back, you know, just like right off the comic page. The introduction of, of uh, Black Widow, you know, that stuff was just awesome. Iron Man 2 gets a lot of heat from a lot of people regarding... Um, it's a week, one of the weaker movies, and you know what? I'm going to admit, as the plot of the core movie itself goes, it's 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 okay at best. But this is, without a doubt, in my mind, the linchpin of Phase One. Every single movie comes into play in this one movie. It brings all the characters together. Only the Avengers, by its nature, having all them starring in it, goes further. Uh, and and. Something that's never overtly discussed, we'll get to a little bit later, has huge potential ramifications into it, and not many people have seen it. We'll get down to that a little bit. But I love this movie from the standpoint of the continuity of the MCU. Brad, where does Iron Man 2 fall in your 
Marvel rankings? I like it a lot. Um, I could watch the first Iron Man over and over and over and not get tired of it. Um, I could probably do that with the second Iron Man. I mean, I like Mickey Rourke's character. What's his first name in that? Ivan. Ivan. I like Ivan. I want Bird. Bird. My Bird. And, yeah, my board. And Sam Rockwell's character is great. Um, I just think it's a lot of fun, like John said. I think it's uh, really good. It's um, it's better than Iron Man 3, in my opinion. Uh, it's I like it. I'd rather watch it than The Incredible Hulk. Um, I'd probably watch it again before I watched uh, Captain America the First Avenger. Uh, I really, really enjoy it. I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought up Sam Rockwell again. Uh, my favorite scene, of all the great stuff we mentioned in, in Iron Man 2, my favorite scene is when they are outfitting uh, <laughs> yeah. Rhodey for the War Machine yeah. uh, arsenal, and Sam Rockwell's doing his salesman shtick with the different weapons. Yeah. Yeah. different. Yeah. I mean, that's just, oh, I could watch that over and over. I call this the ex-wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and Rhodey's just standing there not breaking at all. And there's one point where he actually has to kind of like cover his mouth. It's like an old side, like a Saturday Night Live, but he's got to just like hide his face for, so, so he doesn't laugh. It was, yeah. Um, so I guess starting off, you know, one of the things we noticed right off the bat is, and again, it's another one of those jumping off the back of a plane out of a hangar <laughs> things that we've, uh, that we talked about. But it's, it's kind of starts off with, what we'll find is a connection in Captain America the Winter Soldier, which is um, Tony coming down in the middle of this whole Stark Expo thing where he has, um, you know, his iron, you know, his ironettes or whatever, you know, her, whatever they whatever they want to call them. And, um, you know, kicks off the whole Stark Expo thing, which is kind of the bringing it back after being gone for all this time. And, um, we, you know, we find at the Captain America, the, the first Avenger that that movie starts and it's it's Howard Stark that's. Uh, you know, kind of uh, showing off an early, uh, you know, uh, rendition of, you know, a flying car based on what looks like repulsor technology or early version of repulsor technology. Um, you know, very much, again, the showman, very much the ladies' man, very much, um, you know, the two, uh, you know, again, intentionally, but very much like each other, um, you, you know, that we see right off the bat with, with Iron Man 2. And so it was so cool to see when we get to Captain America, how, um, you know, how connected, connected they are. Um, and again, like we talked about in, in Iron Man, uh, the whole palladium poisoning thing becomes a big plot point for this movie. Um, and the fact that he has to keep drinking this liquid to, uh, counteract it, which is the impetus for him to, uh, come up with a, with a better, uh, you know, a, a, a different mechanism to, to basically keep him alive than, this palladium-based arc reactor that he's built for himself. I guess the next biggest thing that we see early on is um, a character who, at first, is just kind of this uh, mild-mannered assistant that comes in to help uh, to help Tony out, who ends up being uh, Natasha Romanoff, uh, the Black Widow, uh, played by oh, the I want one. Pa- no. Yeah, played by the very lovely Scarlett Johansson. I I I, um, I I still like uh, her better with the curls she's got in this movie than the short straight in the uh, other two movies. I agree. Semantics. I agree. Um, but again, th- having that addition uh, to the Black Widow, I thought was really cool because right off the bat, we knew who it was, um, and for her to just kind of again, she's a spy, so having her 
play the you know undercover and they came up with all those crazy cover identities as, as her as a lingerie model which i thought was really kind of cool um uh you know again just kind of fits in and of course her being the character that we see uh you know towards the end of the movie and then into the avengers and uh captain america the winter soldier i, th- I think um really help scarlett johansson kind of be the breakout star that she is i think i think iron man 2 really kind of hefted her into that that next level that has allowed her to to do a lot of the things that she's done since then um and and be a big player i mean obviously uh, playing a huge role in captain america the winter soldier i think was a um you know was a smart move and i i think it's it's just doing more to set her up for her own movie down the road agreed um, Nick Fury and Phil Coulson uh, play big parts in in this movie, uh, much bigger than they did in the previous in the previous movie. Mainly Stark, um, you know, just as he is really trying to keep tabs on Tony. I think at this point, Fury's trying to feel him out for whether or not he's really truly going to fit in on on this this team he's building, or if he's not. Um, and, and and you know, really, I guess you know, kind of trying to help him to battle his. Uh, his yeah, I, I, this was the the movie where I realized what they're doing with the Phil Coulson character. Basically, it comes down to when we need a shield presence, but we, it's not important enough to pay Sam Jackson. We got this guy, and yeah. It, yeah. but it was some of the things he did in this movie that made me really like him. His interaction with Tony uh, in the workshop as he was leaving, um, his first interaction when when Tony was treating him like a like a like a uh, his mo- his body man, like he's just another guy, like. I'm not here for that. I'm here to make sure you stay put. If you even try to leave, yes. I'm going to tase you and watch Super Nanny while you drool on the carpet. It's like, yes. oh, got it, Agent Coulson. But it's 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 one of those things that they just slowly gave it to us over time. And uh, you know, he, he told the story, Phil, Col- or, uh, Phil Coulson, um, uh, Clark Reg told the story that when he was filming Iron Man and they get this scene, he's like, well, I'm going to New Mexico. He's like, what's, what's in New Mexico? Kevin's like, oh, Oh, didn't we tell you? You're in Thor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Too funny. Too funny. Um, it's kind of like the Boba Fett of the Marvel yeah, really. <laughs> before, this, before this movie. You know, very small parts and loved by everyone. And at least they figured out that he could do more, you know, and be successful rather than have him get eaten by a Sarlacc. Yeah. Uh, one of the coolest Easter eggs in this movie uh, happens fairly early on. And it in. I say Easter eggs connection. This is this is again, I think, more of a comic connection than it is anything. Um, is the suitcase armor, and it's something that I think in the comics has come has become a bit of a joke. Like in the early days, that's what he he used. I mean, he used um, his his armor folded up and fit into a suitcase, and um, it was when it was activated that it kind of gained its rigidity. Um, and allowed him to use it, but to just see how this suitcase turned into this um, kind of like scaled down version of the Iron Man armor, um, I think I think was was pretty cool. And it's just it's just one of those things. Like when you think of Iron Man, that's something you think of, and the fact that they fit that fitted into the movie and it worked, um, I thought was was pretty cool. Yeah, that Monaco scene again was a winner. Yeah. Um, and of course we get the imp- uh, the introduction to. Um, yeah, I guess we call him Whiplash. Um, in in the comics or in the in the movie, that's that's pretty much what he's what he is. Um, this character is really, I guess, kind of like a 
combination of the comic characters of Whiplash and the Crimson Dynamo. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, that that that's kind of what what they were going with. The, you know, the naming and the character itself is is more like Vanko, but you know, the weaponry and and uh, you know the 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 whips obviously um, refer more yeah. back to to Whiplash. Um, and the fact that they tied um, his Vanko's father into Stark and just kind of gave you a little bit of doubt that maybe Stark wasn't as altruistic as we think that, you know, um, he didn't solely create, you know, what we became to know as, um, you know, the arc reactor or this, you know, this repulsor technology um, after all. Yeah, he was one of the, his father, Dagan's, uh, Vanko's father was one of the, uh, like I said, scientists on there. Uh, there's another Easter egg or another tie-in uh, involved with, with uh, Ivan Vanko. Um, after he creates his technology and, and builds his, his miniature arc reactor, which he apparently had been working on this for the previous six months because it, it, it starts with uh, Tony's I Am Iron Man speech uh, as his father was dying. So six months more or less goes by. But when he gets the forged credentials to get to Monaco, it's given by an agent of the Ten Rings. Now, I have not seen anything directly yes. on the movie, purely by the, by the movie, that identifies him that. But I've re- seen in a couple different uh, references, including the the pop-up commentary itself, there's a, there's a feature on the Blu-ray where, it, as you watch the movie, it pops up little shield files, and it identifies that guy as a Ten Rings agent. So uh, there is a Ten Rings appearance, apparently, in Iron Man 2. So of course we get you know Vanko we have, you know so we have we have Whiplash um, slash Crimson Dynamo we talked about Black Widow obviously Fury and Coulson being a lot more connected, um, and and kind of the I guess the biggest chunk of the movie that we get where there's this connection um, revolves around uh, Fury you know when when Stark is really kind of in bad shape and you know is basically um, because of his acts of craziness and drunken stupor. Um, it's kind of like under house arrest. And I think Fury does that. So he kind of gets back to his roots and, and him and Fury kind of have this conversation about, um, his father and the fact that Fury knew his father. And they talk about, you know, the origins of shield, um, which, which is kind of cool. Again, we don't really know what Fury's deal is even to this day. Like we don't know, um, if he has the infinity formula in him, it, it's kind of led us to believe this is more like the ultimate version of Nick Fury, where he hasn't been around for a hundred years, you know, that he's, he's really about as old as he appears as he... to be. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's old enough to have known Howard Stark, which makes sense. That fits. Um, but sure. again, a lot of connections here. Founding member of shield, um, you know, yeah. worked, worked, uh, uh, fighting the Nazis. And when you dive into what's in that chest, not just what we see on the movie, there on the film, um, again the Blu-ray has some uh, has, you can go through the stuff in the chest on the Blu-ray. Um, this is probably the sequence that sells the movie for me is is getting the backstory from from Fury, exploring that chest, watching that film. Um, there's a lot in there, and I think I don't think I saw it on first viewing. But when I Tony was first flipping through that notebook, and you see that sketch of a cube in that notebook, that I just perked up when I saw that, and it just brought the entire rest of the movie into a different 
um, different place for me. Yeah, and we see, I mean, again, you know, we've talked about the Cosmic Cube and the tie-ins of the Cosmic Cube. And I think after, you know, especially after we saw Captain America, the Winter Soldier, we kind of look back at Iron Man 2 and go, that's what this was all about. This was Howard basically trying to discover um, or recreate the energy in the cube as as an element in nature or as something that could be yep. synthesized like you know plutonium or uranium or you know whatever that that there's a way you through science that you could create this thing that appears to be magic absolutely i mean we look through that and i'm just going to read through some notes i made years ago on this on this this scene um i mean we know from from captain america that howard was was present when the when we when shield recovered the cosmic cube you know the ssr ssr became S.H.I.E.L.D. They recovered, the, they recovered the Tesseract from the bottom of the ocean. Uh, also referred to in uh, the Avengers that, it was, that Howard recovered it. We know that Howard was studying the cube. He studied it in Captain America. He continued to study it uh, throughout his life as evidenced in his notebook that Tony had. Uh, you can see, see the cube itself clearly you know, drawn and notes around it in that notebook that Tony was, uh, was reviewing. Um, Fury in his talk about the arc reactor says that was a stepping stone to something greater. It was about to kick off something that's going to dwarf the arms race, an energy race. Uh, Tony himself in the Avengers talks about how he's the, you know, in clean energy. Um, Howard in his in his film, the portion that was made directly to Tony, um, subtly or covertly refers to. You know, everything's here, and he gestures to the model of the Stark Expo. And Tony took some time and discovered the chemical formula of this unknown element, which he hasn't named and hasn't directly linked to the Tesseract, but we know he's been studying it. Uh, Left it embedded or in the layout of the Stark Expo, which Tony was able to discover. Howard was limited by the technology of his time, is the phrase he uses. He cannot synthesize this unknown element. It's it's left up to Tony to, to pick up where he left off. The rest of this movie, of this scene, has to do with Tony discovering this element and using his resources to build it. He actually breaks out from storage some old uh, old equipment that's actually from the Pegasus Project, if you look at the containers, uh, that we'll find out later on as well as part of what S.H.I.E.L.D.'s working on in the Avengers. And he's able to synthesize this element. All of this to say... Tony synthesized this element to power his suit to get off Palladium. He basically has a piece of synthesized, synthesized Tesseract in his new suit. Which, when I... That just blew my mind that that's basically what it came down to. And I'm actually a little disappointed that they haven't overtly put that out there for us. Yeah. And that, I mean, to me, again, we talk about linchpins. We talk about, you know, the biggest connection. I mean, that, you know... The Cosmic Cube is one portion of a larger um, set of items that, you know, the the whole concept of the Infinity Stones is becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger deal. Um, As these movies move forward, you know, we've seen, obviously, that was like the the main, um, you know, plot point of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. It played a a huge role um, in Thor The Dark World. So these things are gaining in importance as it moves moves forward, and really the origins of... You know, the main tie to it is is in this movie here. Um, we just had a comment on Facebook from Callum Reavy he, when we when we commented that we were recording. He he put a question up here. Let me see if I can pull it up here. And I responded on Facebook. 
but he asked, um, I would like to hear you guys' thoughts on this. A friend of mine said that the reason there was no direct tie-in from Guardians of the Galaxy to the greater MCU was because they, Marvel, were concerned that Guardians may be a flop, and as a result, they, Marvel, could basically pretend it didn't exist. In other words, if it was a flop, they could say, let's never speak of this movie again. But if it had an Iron Man cameo, then it would have been hard to ignore this movie. I hope this makes some sense. And I respond simply, maybe. I think it would have been difficult to include them directly. However, Guardians, this movie is key in advancing the Infinity Stones plotline, which, Russ, you just said. Um, so, no, I don't think they were playing safe. It's an important part of the bigger MCU. And and I had a point going on there. But, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy does definitely advance this this uh, Infinity Stones plotline. And we discussed during Avengers, um, when Loki tries to use the staff, which we believe is also an Infinity Stone, uh, it didn't work on Tony. Now, I thought just because it was hitting metal, but... Ross, I think you, among others, suggested that, and and as uh, uh, Selvig said, you can't fight against yourself. It didn't affect Tony because it was being blocked by his own tesseract energy that's in his that was in his chest at the time. Right. So it's it's. Oh, I know where it's going. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Someone said there's not a lot of uh, connections to the bigger MCU. It's just kind of there on its own. It's like no, there are connections to the MCU that have been started. Since Iron Man 2. It's not overtly there, but there it is. Connections to the Infinity Stone plotline, which is, we believe, to culminate in uh, Avengers 3. Indeed. Um, Another, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but obviously War Machine, uh, introducing the concept of War Machine in this movie that was teased very uh, slyly in Iron Man 1 when Rhodes said, you know, I'm coming back for you, looking at the, the Mark II armor. Um, you know the fact that you know the Mark II armor was taken by the by the U.S. government by the by the Air Force um, and built up with Hammer's help into um, into you know what we know as War Machine. Um, I, th- I think is a big deal because I, I think it it allows them to have a bit of a uh, an escape hatch to some degree. Like if if Downey Jr. ever gets to the point where you know his he's done with this um, and and eventually age will catch up to him and and that'll be that um they've got you know this the the james rhodes character who in the comics you know took over as iron man um at least twice or three times one time for a fairly extended period of time um you know so setting that up in this movie to carry forward obviously we saw it in iron man 3 as well Uh, there's rumors that uh rhodes if not war machine will appear in uh, avengers age of ultron Oh, he's, uh, he, there's no rumor he's in it. Well, now you know, Rhodes is in it. We don't know about Warren right. right? Exactly, exactly. Um, so obviously there's that connection yeah. there. You know, there's a, a minor point just worth mentioning. Uh, they talk about how uh, in the donut shop, you know, he talks about how you gave you gave Rhodey your suit. He's like, I didn't give him my suit. He stole it. And uh, Natasha goes off this thing about how it's database encrypted, you know, no other unauthorized access. Some people are like, oh, well, it's pretty cheap. You know, access if Rhodey's able to hack it. It's like no, Rhodey had access. Yeah, that's he he had access and the ability and he was key to 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 operate that suit. Whether or not he was authorized to take it at that moment is irrelevant. He he had the keys to that suit. Add to Iron Man three where he's like, no, nope, sorry, Rhodey, you can't fly any of these. They're all keyed to me. Yeah, when it's funny because if another you know talk about connections again, going back to Iron Man one, Stark tried to pull Rhodes in early on before. When he yeah. after he got back, he said, "Look, I'm working on something. I want you in on this. I want you to be a part of it." 
And Rhodes was like, "Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not following you back uh, down this path, Tony. You're, you know, you're just no." Um, yeah. So he intended from from jump to have Rhodes be a part of what he was working on. And I I don't think it was until Iron Man three where he, eh, I guess the end of Iron Man two, but really into Iron Man three where Rhodes feels like, you know, he, he and Tony are kind of a team you know that that they can they can work together and that can you know that that you know Rhodes is more comfortable um you know kind of following tony on on where this journey ends up taking them right so john you mentioned um of mickey rourke's dissatisfaction with with marvel and and i thought at the time that and this is what a lot of people's uh, criticism included was that his villain, his bad guy, Whiplash, was very underdeveloped and was kind of, was wasted. And I got the impression that, that I heard Mickey Rourke did a lot of research. He spent time in Russian prison, and then he has this relatively small role. Is that is that basically what you've heard? Yeah, I, I saw him recently on a talk show. I don't remember what he was promoting, uh, something else that's coming out. I guess, the new Sin City in. movie. Oh, right. He's in the new Sin City. Very good. And he basically said that they just cut a ton of his stuff. So not only did he go and research it and, and put the time in, uh, they then actually filmed it. But uh, they ended up leaving a lot on the cutting room floor. And uh, it's actually... Uh, Brad, do you recall what talk show that was? I think I actually watched two different clips. I think one... He was talking about the same thing on, uh, I think it was the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and then I th- also think, <clears throat> I think I saw him on uh, Conan. I think I saw him on uh, Seth Meyers. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, where that's, I, that's what the it was. Clip I it saw. was it was Seth Meyers was one of them, and I believe the other one that I saw was the Tonight Show with uh, Jimmy Fallon. Okay. Yeah, and it, and it's worth checking out because he's pretty bitter and uh, not shy about it. And, you know, I, I think it starts off by, oh, you're in a comic book movie. And he's like, no, this is a different comic book movie. Yeah, it's yeah. not by those guys. And then he goes on and on. You know, so it's worth checking out if, if you're interested in uh, in that sort of thing. Yeah. I heard a lot of dissatisfaction with, with the villains and with the hammer and with the whole armor thing. And, and I got to admit, that's the weaker part for me. I'm definitely into the connections and, and to the part I did. I mean, like I said, I, my excitement came, came out of that whole uh, – scene with fury and what came out of that uh, um but yeah i thought the rest was kind of underdeveloped and from that point of view i actually enjoyed iron man 3 more um i didn't originally i actually didn't know what to think but that was for different reasons and i've come to appreciate iron man 3 for what it is um but iron man 2 is is, is still one of my top favorites of phase one i guess the last um since we're, we're kind of running running a little longer than i thought we were going to run um, but again, there's a lot. There's a lot going on in these, these movies, as we, as you, you've discovered. Um, one of the things that I guess the last piece is is kind of at the end. Um, we get where Tony comes back to talk, like we said, in the Shield bunker or whatever this facility is. Um, and Fury basically tells him he's probably not really cut out to be um, a member of this team of this Avengers initiative, but he would bring him on as a consultant. Um, which, which obviously makes sense, given that we see him, you know, in the previous movie, uh, going to, to the consulting in, in the Incredible Hulk. 
Um, but we also see this is where there's a lot going on on these TV screens, right? We see the news reports of the college uh, incident going on um, with the Hulk that obviously uh, is being monitored. We know at this point Colson has been dispatched uh, to New Mexico to go um, investigate Thor's hammer, which has landed. Um, Let's dial back for a second. Remember um, in the donut shop scene, he's like, you know, contrary to your your belief, I am. You are not the center of my universe. I've got bigger problems to deal with in the southwest southwest region. Right, Thor. Yep. Um, but the other piece, and this this was a big deal when the movie came out, is there's a map. Uh, there's there's like a big screen, and it's it's a world map, and there's a bunch of key locations that are circled and highlighted. Um, and so if we go through those, uh, one of them is uh, what looks like Norway. So Norway is circled, and obviously we know. That um, in in Thor and in Captain America: The First Avenger, uh, Tonsberg, Norway, is kind of a big deal. That's where um, originally, you know, uh, uh, in 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 the ancient Norse mythology, that's where the Asgardians at one point came to Earth to defeat the Frost Giants. It was Tonsberg, Nor- Norway. Uh, we saw that battle at the beginning of the beginning of Thor. Uh, that's where the Red Skull shows up in at the beginning of Captain America: The Winter Soldier, um, and he, uh, you, you know, that that's where the the Tesseract is actually being kept. So, um, so that you know, obviously, there's com- connection there. There's a circle on Eastern Africa, which, of course, everybody's kind of figuring that's Wakanda. So, uh, you know, early nods to possibly a Black Panther movie. Yeah. And supposedly that region has uh, uh, something something to play in Avengers three, Avengers two, Age of Ultron. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's pro- possibly talk about vibranium, which has come up in Captain America: The First Avenger, which we'll talk about next time. Uh, there's an area in the middle of the of the Southern Atlantic uh, that's circled, and that's, there's been speculation that that could be Atlantis. So we, you know, that that would bring Namor possibly into the into the picture. Um, the upper northeast. Would they have? Sorry, would they have Namor? Is he tied to X Men or FF at all? No. Uh, right now, I believe Universal has rights to Namor, but they're they're possibly expired or getting ready to expire. So okay, Marvel, I think he's on his own though. He's not tied enough. Correct. To, okay. He is his own property. That's been that was licensed off years ago. But I think Feige's come out and basically said they're pretty much going to get him back because Universal doesn't have any plans to do anything with Namor, um, especially by himself. That would just be kind of silly. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. Uh, there's a there's on the northeast, almost like I, I would say maybe like Greenland, Iceland area. Uh, I'm not sure what that's about. Maybe that is where they think Cap is. I don't. I don't. That know. would make sense. That'll probably be in the flight. Plan yeah, because it's it's closer to the Arctic, so that's a possibility. Uh, there's New York City, um, or the, the New York City city area. Uh, could be, could be. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, no, yeah, that was, on, Hulk was Hulk right. was active at that point. That, that's right. That's right. The the university thing. Um, there's the the New Mexico area, obviously where Thor's hammer uh, fell, and then there's California, the west the west coast, which I'm guessing. Uh, just because that's where Stark is, that that that's probably them monitoring um, Southern California and Iron Man's activities. So, uh, again, that that that's kind of cool that all these things are kind of like little circled areas on the map that we could all tie either directly or indirectly to stuff that we know about um, in the Marvel U that that was either happening at that time 
um, or possibly will come up in later movies, which I think is really cool. And, of course, the big end credit scene is Coulson showing up out in the desert in New Mexico uh, saying, I found it, sir, it's here, which yeah, obviously... And- Saying that one's pretty much a pretty much a lift right out of the f- actual film, Thor. Right, more right. or less. Right. Um. So that's it. That's that's about. Uh, it's a lot of connections. It's a lot. Of, I felt like I'd done a lot of talking. Hopefully you have. You have. You carried this, and uh, well done. Yeah, it's amazing how many uh, you could forget about. Yeah, and it, you know, it, or you missed flat out missed them, you know, yeah. the first time through. Well, it's funny because originally we thought we would do this as like one episode where we talk about Thor, we talk about Cap, and we talk about event. You know, we do all yeah. phase one in one show, and um, you know, kind of digging into it, I kind of saw that that probably was going to take a little longer. It isn't going to happen, yeah. So meanwhile, now our next episode, whenever we get to it, will be, I guess, Thor, Captain America: the First Avenger, and the Avengers. Uh, to wrap up phase one, which which as I'm doing the math here, I realize, oh, wow, there's six movies in phase one. There's only going to be four in Five. phase two. Five? Five. Iron Man oh, three. Oh, yeah. You, I'm counting my DVDs. You're right. It's five. I'm thinking, yeah, Cap and then Guardians of the Galaxy. So there's five. All right. So it's one off. Big big deal. <laughs> Never mind. I take it back. Well, that's it. Um, you guys have anything else? Anything else you want to toss in or close out with or add a comment to about? No, I, I think I'm going to break out my Hulk uh, Blu-ray for the first time, probably since it was released. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. really it really held up well. I really enjoyed watching it again. Um, you know, Ken and I watched it not that long ago because we did uh, audio commentary on it. Um, but it was really cool to just kind of be able to sit back and watch and actually watch it. Was that you? No, I think I did Hulk with Jim. Uh, Jim it was Beats the three of us Hulk together. Yeah. Were you on that one? Yeah, I think I cut I out. Just... I cut out for at like the halfway oh, point. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember Jim and I being together uh, for the most part. But as I was going to say, as a good lead-in, if if you are planning on watching any of these movies again, which I know I will be, um, check out. We have commentaries on all of them, uh, including Thor: The Dark World, and our Captain America: The uh, Winter Soldier commentary should be coming out. Hopefully, we'll get it recorded and get it out not long after it actually releases on September 9th here in the state here in the states. Yeah, I've got a really cool page on hhwlod.com that has all the commentaries laid out. If you just want to be able to download um, them, not only the ones we've done, but any ones that have been done on any of the other shows are out now. Um, so it's really cool, um, you know, page all by itself with all this stuff. You've made me want to watch some of those older movies again for sure now, i'll tell you back in the summer uh I, I i did watch them all uh not in one sitting mind you but over like a weekend or two and it was fun to go back and watch them all and i'm uh definitely intrigued to do it again and uh they're fun to see again indeed and agents of shield season one comes out the same day yep yes september 9th yep yep all right, so hopefully uh, we'll be back next week. Um, if not, then the week after uh, to squeeze in. Hopefully we'll be able to squeeze in before Season 2 starts of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., our second half of the Phase 1 It's All Connected show and the Captain America the Winter Soldier commentary. Um, somehow I think we'll try our best to squeeze those in before uh, the show starts. Um, so keep an eye out on the feed. Keep an eye out on the website, hhwled.com. 
uh, where you can check out all the cool stuff that we have, not only related to It's All Connected, but all in any of the other shows that we have on the network. Um, you can send us an email. I knew I need to keep to make a new email, but if you want to email us, uh, shieldpodcast at hhwlod.com. And check out the Facebook groups for everything related to the network. Um, there's there's a main HHWLOD page on Facebook as well as an It's All Connected um, page on network. Leave us some iTunes reviews. We're always up for iTunes reviews. That would be awesome to help uh, bring new people into the show um, and check it out. Um, the Twitter has been updated, by the way. It's MCU yes. uh, underscore podcast. Fred changed over from Shield podcast. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm seeing some new likes on our Facebook page all the time. So, yeah, like us on Facebook and see us there. We're always trying to post something new, updates about uh, either the Avengers or any kind of developments in the MCU, including rumors that they might be trying to get uh, Hawkeye into Captain America 3, which would be awesome. Yep, yep. Sounds like Doctor Strange will be cast shortly. I know it's a rumor at this point, but this one seems to have some... Legs. I think yeah. so. Yep. Yeah, I, I I really think so. I th- I think again, Guardians prove that they could just do whatever they want, and people will uh, kindly pay their uh, twelve fifty or whatever it costs to get into the movies. All right, so that's about does it for this episode uh, twenty nine of It's All Connected. Uh, like I said, we will see you next time. So for Ken, Brad, and John, this is Russ. We will see you next time on It's All Connected. Good night. Good night.